In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. In fact, here's the deal, Jim. We live in a culture more concerned about the calorie content of their children's lunches than the character content of their children's hearts. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here with our producer and co-host, just Dale Culver. How you doing, my buddy? Uh, Just Dale Culver's doing awesome. Hey, man, if it wasn't for Just Dale, there'd be no men in the arena because <laughs> Just Jim is pretty weak sauce without Just Dale. So That's even better uh, when we have Just Sammy helping us nowadays, yeah, too. Yeah, just another employee, baby. Hey, I'm really excited <laughs> about today's guest. He's a, He leads, in my opinion, one of the most influential men's ministries in the world. He's traveled all around the world preaching the gospel to men, and I'm really excited to Get this guy on and let him share about his newest book and his ministry as well. Hey, I want to bring my guest on today, uh, Paul Cole. Paul is in his 60s. He's married to his beautiful wife, Judy. They've been married for over 40 years. Paul's organization, Christian Men's Network, helps pastors build strong men, strong families, and strong churches in over 100 nations. Paul's mission is to rescue men, defeat fatherlessness, and end child abuse by providing wow. biblical leadership tools and strategies to men of every nation. So Paul's one of the world's foremost experts in the ministry to men and has spoken to men in over 60 nations. His newest work, Just a Bartender, Unexpected People Change the World, is our subject for today. I'm really excited to bring this guy on, my new friend Paul Cole. How you doing, man? Hey, Jim, doing great, man. You know, you, you say all those things. I started feeling tired as you're talking about it. It's like, dude, that's a lot of work right there. Well, that's what I appreciate about you is you're super laid back and low key. I laughed when I saw that you live in, you know, he li- you live in Grapevine, Texas. I laughed because I feel like you should live in Santa Cruz, California. That's where I grew up. Yeah, I, I do. You know, a surfer guy. You must be dying yeah. out there in, in Texas, not being able to surf. And You know what? Here's the deal. It's been an incredible place to raise my children. And But every time we're at the coast, and particularly the West Coast, every time we're at the ocean, one of my boys will look at me and go, and they're in their 30s now, and it still happens. They'll look at me, and they'll, look, they'll go, so what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up in Morro Bay, so just down the road from you. 
That's fair. I love, yeah, it was a little bit down the road, but we would surf that far south. You didn't have great surf in Morro Bay, but around it, north and south of, of you guys. Uh, Morro Bay is a great place for fishing, though. Oh, yeah. And and uh, and going out of Morro Bay, you get some great uh, fishing, you know, on the Outer Banks and stuff. But, you know, the thing is, I, I would so I'd tell my boys, okay, here's the deal. You didn't grow up on the coast, but you did grow up in a great area that that's really family-friendly, and, and you had a great childhood, and you got to go skiing in Colorado. So, so back <laughs> off. Well, you know, you talk about fishing in Morro Bay. My family owned the only fishing business there, Verge's Fishing. Get out of here, yeah, really? Yeah, so Verge was my step-grandfather. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> so I grew up fishing out of Morro Bay for free. It was just part of the family program. You know what I'm saying? Shoot. So, but you know, I was, We need to talk about maybe some connections you still have, man. Well, we do. We need to talk about it, but don't try to get me on a surfboard. That is not going to happen. <laughs> no, well, I, I don't do stand-up surfing anymore, but uh, we're looking at each other on video, but you can see my boogie board right back here. Yeah. That's a, B, uh, that's a BZ uh, custom-made uh, bodyboard. So. Now, in Morro Bay, they call guys on bodyboards spongers. Is that, is that, I a, know is that. that an insult yeah. or is that what? a, what's the deal with that? Yeah, and then we could use some other choice terms for <laughs> Guys from Morro Bay, I don't know, Jim. <laughs> you know, but I, let me tell you something about man, men in the arena is, uh, you know, you took that from TR, right? Yeah. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt's famous speech. I actually watched uh, yesterday a documentary PBS put together about his trip to the Amazon with his son, Kermit. And uh, this guy was a stud, man. Unbelievable what he did in his life, what he created in his life, and and what he lived was what, what he called the strenuous life. Yes, yes. In other words, he, he did what's biblical is, is that uh, most guys buffet their body. The Bible talks oh, about preach buffeting it. Preach body. it, preach it. And so what he did was he had to remake himself because he grew up extremely asthmatic. His father told him when he was a young teenager, now here's the role of a father. His father died very young. I think his dad was 46 when he passed away. Yeah. And, uh, and so what he told his son is he said, you have a very keen mind, but your body is going to betray you. And so he began to work himself out. He began to do what it took to become what he became. And so I, I think that's the thing right now for us, Jim, is that we live in a very convenient comfort-filled culture and we're not we're not we don't lean into doing the stuff that's going to make us the man we can be because you know what it's a heck of a lot of work right now to be where i want to be tomorrow but unless we do it we'll never get there that's so good man i appreciate that well you know the you're if you have if you're interested in that tr book there's a book written about that trip called the river of doubt yeah, it is unbelievable. Yep. Do you know Teddy Roosevelt used to carry? I don't know if you know this, Paul, a lethal dose of morphine, and if he, his life ever got so bad that he was a burden to others, he would just take it and move on. And on that trip, he said, "Kermit," he told Kermit and the, and the guide, "Get out of here! I'm out of here! I've got my morphine." And Kermit literally yeah. carried him out. And then the interesting thing about Kermit is, a couple years later, he committed suicide, right. and with Lewis and Clark expedition, Meriwether Lewis committed suicide after that event. And wow. because a lot of these huge events, these hugely uh, epic adventures, guys can't repeat them, and they don't know what yeah. to do. And it was interesting with Roosevelt because TR actually died from health reasons five years after that trip. 
So that right. was a huge epic trip. But the thing that you said that really impacted me was so that men can be all they're supposed to be. And really, that's what your book is about to me. Just a bartender. I saw two themes going through that book. And one of the themes was achieving your dreams. Can you tell us more about that book, why you wrote it, and what you're wanting men to do because of it? Yeah, well, here's the thing. A man without a vision for his future will always return to his past. So we will stay in the, in the state of mediocrity. We will stay in that place of mediocrity our entire lives unless we have a vision, an image. We don't think in words. We think in images. That's why Jesus spoke parables. He gave us images to think about and to, and to look at. See, most of the ministry to men, Jim, that you and I have been involved in growing up was based on information. I grew up in a culture of the information culture. If we could just get more information, it would change us. Yeah. And here's the issue. Information can produce inspiration, but easily becomes evaporation. <laughs> yes. So, so what you minister with uh, man in the, men in the arena and what we talk about from the word of God is this, is a man needs a revelation of Jesus Christ, which produces, which brings an impartation of the Holy Spirit and a transformation in lifestyle. So this is not, following Christ is not about life enhancement or, or uh, reading the end of the book and we're all good somewhere down the line. This is about actually living the life we were put on earth to live. So just a bartender is about identity. And identity, in fact, let me, let me just say it this way. Just a bartender is about a guy named Nehemiah. Yes. And the book of Nehemiah, this guy is such a heavy dude, there's a book named after him. And, and, but he's a slave. And the Bible says, and he wrote, he says he's the cupbearer for the king. So, Jim, I figured that means he was the king's bartender. <laughs> so I figured, you know, and, and it's fascinating because when you put it in that context, then it becomes real. So now what happened to him in chapter one is the image in his mind, his identity. Identity is the story you tell yourself about yourself. And for most of us as men, we've let other people write most of that story. Yeah. So Plato said most men live uh, lives that are that are unseen, or uh, you know they're they're not uh, uh, they're uncovered uh, or they're covered up, and and yet I think we live uninitiated lives. I think everybody sees what everybody else is doing all the time on social media. Yeah, for sure. You know, no, but, you know, very hard to hide right now in some ways. But I, I believe we're not initiated. And so what happens is we don't have the image of who we're supposed to be. And so a man without a vision for his future returns to his past. We just end up doing the stuff we heard about or saw. Or, and, and you end up with 35-year-old guys that basically che have checked out. They're done. So what happens to Nehemiah is his image changes. He's a bartender and a slave. Starts praying. Okay, so intimacy with God, intimacy and adversity, the two things that made David a Goliath slayer. Mm -hmm. Intimacy and adversity, the two things that build character in a man's life. And so here's, here's uh, Nehemiah begins to pray. He says, God, Jerusalem's destroyed, been destroyed for over 100 years, but he just finds out it's still destroyed. It hasn't been rebuilt. He's praying, God, and it's ridiculous, crazy. God, I repent. And he starts with repentance. He starts an intercessory prayer. And by the end of that chapter one, he's like, well, 
somebody needs to rebuild it. And then finally he goes, well, maybe it's me. And his image, his identity changed from being a slave and a bartender to becoming the man who could rebuild Jerusalem. Now, here's the key. God, God gives us hope. You know, hope comes from the Lord, but it's always delivered by people. So watch this. So Nehemiah is like, how am I going to get there? He's a slave and a bartender, but he's the bartender for the king. So the king looks at him one day and said, what's up? And Nehemiah is like, what do you mean? He says, you look really down. He says, no, 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 I'm good. You don't want to be down in front of the king. No, when you're tasting. (laughs) You're going to the dungeon, man. Yeah. You're out. I don't need that around me. And he says, no, no, no. What's up? You know, there's, there's two people that know everything about you, your bartender and the guy that cuts your hair. And, and, uh, and actually, I should be getting a discount on haircutting yeah. at this stage of my life. <laughs> it costs a lot my, less. My haircuts are self-inflicted. It's, it's self. <clears throat> so, um, so the king looks at him and says, no, there's something not. And so then he, he begins to tell him. Now, here's the thing. Much of your destiny as a man is in the life of another man. Mm. Okay. That's why brotherhood is so core and key. Jesus, look at his life. We only see about 28 to 40 days of his life in all of the gospels. We don't, we don't see all three years of his ministry, 30 years before that, all of it. We see snippets, little things. And then we get parenthetical insertions from words of prophecy, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. So we see about 28 to 40 days. Do you know, most of the time he's with guys. He's with friends. Yeah. You know, the, the, uh, you know, we're taping this or, or digitally recording, whatever, whatever we call it now. Capturing. We're capturing this interview uh, right around Easter time. And, and the, the thing is, what happened is that whole triumphal entry of Jesus going into Jerusalem, that the Palm Branch thing. Yeah. Uh, is because his guy's coming from Lazarus's house. He was coming from Lazarus's house, who was his best friend. In fact, he was such a close friend, Jim, that he didn't make him a disciple. I think he needed somebody to hang out with, to decompress with, to say, dude, if James and John's mom shows up one more time, they're both out. (laughs) You know, or like, dude, you should have seen it. I messed with these guys the other day. I walked on water. It's four o'clock in the morning. (laughs) I'm just cruising. I mean, because why did he walk on water? What was the point? Yeah. He's messing with his guys. He's a real guy. You know, he's yeah. a real man. He's a real person. He's fully orbed. And I think he loved hanging out with Lazarus also because he had like a sister who could cook. And then the other sister was dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. But the fact is, is that Jesus was a fully orbed man. So here's Lazarus, this great friend. And I think, I think he's like, you know, you walked on water. Yeah, it was awesome. You should have seen these guys. They freaked. But Peter, man, Peter stepped out of the boat. Really, what did he do? So, so he's got this guy. He's got a friend. And every time we see Jesus, we see him interacting with people. We see him in places that brought him peace. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Why? It's olive trees. If you've ever been there, it's a place that's it's cool in the evenings and in the, in the hot breezes that would go through that. It's the other side of the valley from Jerusalem. And, and he had these places. Of, like, like he moved to Capernaum when he started his ministry. Right. Yeah. Which means a place of uh, a place of uh, coming of refreshing means a place of refreshing. And it's on the water. It's on a lake. 
In fact, that's his house that they, the guys, you know, Mark to the whole hole in the roof thing. Dude, that's Jesus's house, man. Yeah. So bottom line is on this thing, you know, coming back to the whole identity piece and, and vision and all that, you know, God has, Ephesians 2.10 says, every man was designed with a vision and a dream from God to be something. Identity, purpose, and brotherhood. The three basic things that every man that's born desires in his life. Identity, purpose, and brotherhood. No man wakes up in the morning and hopes that today is the day he screws his life up. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, it's interesting, Paul. Not in us. You said Jesus was a fully orbed man. I thought that was an interesting phrase. Earlier in your in your um, answer there, you said that he identified as a bartender, but he and then I wrote down, but he now, because of prayer and the king, was identified as a wall builder. So I want to yeah. so he was moving into his best version, moving away from his Wow. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, his uh, his uh, counterfeit identity and moving into his true identity. With the men in the arena, we want to call men up to their best version. On page 19 of your book, you said something very powerful. You said, it's a variation of one of the most important questions we must ask ourselves as, as men. Is the level of life I am now living at the full capacity of my life? Are we living at our maximum or is there another level? Are we at full capacity or is there more? Is this it? Now, when you talk about being fully orbed, Jesus being fully orbed, I took that as full capacity. What does a full capacity man look like? How would you define him and how do you know when you've run into him? Well, first of all, you know, when you run into a guy like that, it, it, uh, it stirs you. Ah. And, and it, and it, um, inspire, it inspires you, uh, encouragement means to give others courage mm-hmm. and guys like that. I love hanging out with guys like that. I love hanging out with, with guys like you too, because there's this thing in you that, that says, dude, I want, you know, I, I really want to do this thing. I want to measure up. I want to know that, that I'm doing this thing right. So here's here, let me give you just a couple things real quick on this deal is that, we talk about vision. The problem is most of us live highly distracted lives. Yep. Highly distracted lives. And uh, distraction is the devil's hammer. So when you talk about, am I living at the full capacity of my life? Most of us are not because we're distracted. And vision is forged in the discipline to extract yourself from the unnecessary. You see, what, why did Jesus pray? Here's, when we talked about fully orbed, he's all God, all man. Yes. Watch this. Why did Jesus pray, Jim? Dale, you can answer this. Oh. Why did Jesus pray? Do you want to answer it? Right? Or do you want me to answer it? Go ahead. I would say he prayed to build and draw closer to his father because in his father, he found his true identity and purpose. That's why okay. I think he prayed. I think he prayed to okay. build that relationship of closeness. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay, well, okay, but he's all God and God's God. Yeah. Okay, so why couldn't he have just done like a 30-second, hey, are you thinking what I'm thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? And and the father would go, well, yeah, I'm thinking. And so he says, I only do what the father shows me to do. Remember, we think in images. We don't think in words. Yeah. Over and over, the Bible says, "I, I said what I saw, Ezekiel bones, you know, the dry bones, all mm-hmm. that. Jesus, his father showed him. I believe 
that a lot of his prayer time and the reason he had to pray more often, the reason he prayed all night before he chose the first disciples is because there's people pulling on him every single direction. Oh, to to to, re, to fill his capacity back Bro, up. you got to come here. Bro, you got to come yeah. there. Hey, you got to do this. You know, if you're not on this, if you're not at this synagogue for an interview, nobody will ever know who you are. If you're not here, if you're not there, if you're... If you don't have a podcast, Jesus, you know, you, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. Right? Yep. And so he's being pulled a hundred directions. And the fact is the the power of prayer is that prayer strips away the inconsequential. And I believe Jesus prayed in order to center his life in the will of his father. Check it out. You know the whole temptations of Christ? You know that whole three thing? Yes. You read the Bible. Matthew okay. Uh, four yeah. okay. so and four. So three temptations of Christ. And, and so there's these temptations. Are any of them actually, I mean, think about it. It's making bread, uh, saving some people's lives. Uh, are any of them actually evil? You know, like, no. Is he, is he tempted into, like, hey, let's get drunk together? Yeah, correct. None of them are evil, but all of them are outside of the will of God. So the temptation for a lot of us is not necessarily evil, but to live lives that are outside of the fullness of what God has for us to live. And, and we're letting distractions write the verses to our story. And that's where, man, I'm telling you, Jim, this thing, it kicks my butt every time I think about it because I'm easily, I'm a digital guy. Oh, yeah. I'm a news guy. I love reading books. I, I read, you know, if, if I walk into a doctor's office or I was at the dentist's office recently, I walk in, there's a magazine. I start reading the thing. I'm asking, Hey, can I take this with me? You know, <laughs> you know, I just pick up stuff. And if I, if I'm not careful, man, I get, I can get so distracted and caught up in this stuff, you know, that I miss like, here's what, here's the important things. And this is where this is where we talk about in just a bartender is Nehemiah got focused on this thing. And then he did another thing. He built a team of people. He oh, oh here's another really cool thing about Nehemiah and the king, this whole piece. See, this is why when we talk about your much of your destiny is in the heart of other men, is because other men know what you don't know. Yep. Okay, so the king knew what Nehemiah didn't know. So Nehemiah says, I need some money and some horses so I can go. And he goes, no, no, you don't just need that. You need an army to go with you. Mm -hmm. And Nehemiah's like, really? Yeah. See, the king knew what he didn't know. So he gets there and then he takes those men. And, and it's a fascinating thing, Jim. It takes three days. So he took three days. He walked around late at night. He got himself quiet begin to pray, started, you know, for us, New Testament guys, we could pray James chapter one, verse five, God yeah, give me sure. wisdom. Proverbs four, what's in your heart is what you become. So God fill my heart with wisdom. So when we're talking about capacity, you know, uh, Solomon prayed, you know, and he said, uh, and God said, you know, what do you want? You know, ask for, and Solomon says, give me wisdom. Mm -hmm. Watch this. So it says in one of the, in one of the books, it says this, in one of the books of the Bible, it says that God not only gave him wisdom, it says he gave him knowledge, understanding of all things, wisdom, and then it says, and largeness of heart. In other words, he's basically saying, Solomon, you're not big enough today 
to fight tomorrow's battles. Mm. So I'm going to stretch you. See, stretching is how capacity comes. And most of us push back on stretching. And we're yes. pushing back on what makes us larger. So when Nehemiah gets there, he, begin, he gets quiet. He prays. Then he stands in front of some men and gives them a vision. And then he did something that's a guy thing, man. He said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide up by families. And each of you is going to take a part of the wall. Now, this for most people, they just go, yeah, everybody had a part of the wall. They all built it. 54 days, they got a wall. Here's what I'm looking at, bro. Uh, he gives Christian Men's Network this part of the wall. He gives Men in the Arena this part of the wall. Totally. He gives Iron Sharpens Iron this part of the wall. He gives this, you know, uh, Man in the Mirror this part of the wall. He gives PK this part of the wall. And I'm looking over and going, dude, I'm saying to Chris, hey, man, Jim and Dale are ahead of us. Oh, for How sure. How do you get the wall built in 54 days? He got a bunch of guys going after it, competing. Who's going to finish their part of the wall first? And so there, this is real stuff, man. Real people, real lives, and it's portable, Jim. It's stuff we can put in our hearts and lives and live every day with. Well, you know what's interesting, Paul? <clears throat> you made a really interesting point, and I'm a big fan of the I made kingdom. one? No, one? you've made several. I've got a couple of things okay, I'm going to say okay. here. <laughs> you, you're, I'm a big fan of the kingdom of God. I'm not a big fan of sectarianism, of you know, uh, Christian groups. You know, We are not in competition we are in collaboration and until Absolutely. and until we can enlarge our mindset of what god is doing uh, in the body of christ there's no monopoly here we're on the same team so when i think about capacity so in your book i i, I got two things out of it achieving your dreams and identity and i think the identity comes before achieving your dreams but i want to talk about capacity because you've been hitting on a capacity uh, in your book on page 120 and you just said that you said capacity largeness of heart it always comes by being stretched. You said all this. This is right out of your book also. Our heart directs our lift. So if your life is to be larger, your heart must be larger. Your capacity for wisdom, pain, stress, turmoil, compassion, generosity, love, it must all get larger. We get stretched. And then on page 119, you said it's impossible to become highly successful without becoming stronger, larger, and a more resilient person. <clears throat> so now, is man, this that's good stuff? That is really good stuff, man. So does this largeness? <laughs> Who wrote that? I know. Like, we should quote this guy. <laughs> so does this largeness of heart, Paul? Does it come from time with God in our quiet time? Because you also said on page one eighty one, vision and imagination happen in the quiet. So how does yeah. a man enlarge his capacity, or how does he become quote fully orbed? What 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 does he do to get to that spot? You know, David, when he, when he defeated Goliath, showed up, uh, and Saul was being, um, you know, cursed by Goliath. The cursings of Goliath for 40 days and 40 nights, which I think is why David wrote quite a bit uh, about worshiping the Lord and in the morning and in the evening, because it came back to Goliath. Uh, Goliath uh, cursed Israel 40 days and 40 nights. Mm -hmm. But, he, bro, he didn't F-bomb them. Yeah. He wasn't out there just swearing at him. He was telling them, your God's too small. You guys will never make it. He was, he was causing them to have a sense of futility, putting fear on them, which is what the, every man has a Goliath yelling at him. Yeah. Every man's got a Goliath. David shows up, and Saul had something that David had, but David had something that Saul didn't have. 
Saul had faced adversity before, but the problem was he didn't have an intimacy with God. David had intimacy, so that's quiet time, but he also had adversity. That's iron sharpens iron. That's being in the arena. That's being out there and doing stuff. That's the risk of love where you mentor a guy and he still tips over and you hug him and love him anyway and you nurse him back to health. You know, you got to be out there in a fight. You know, the, the and that's what Teddy Roosevelt talked about. And I yeah. talked about it from a different perspective, but all truth is parallel. So the fact is, is that we've got to be, so when you talk about largeness of heart, it happens by being in the arena. Yes. Going for it, man. Cranking stuff up. See, we live in a, we live in a comfort culture, man. We live in a, in fact, here's the deal, Jim. We live in a culture more concerned about the calorie content of their children's lunches than the character content of their children's hearts. You know, that kind of stuff, man. See, that's the world. That right there, that's a Goliath curse. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's, a, that's a cultural F-bomb, you know, <laughs> at us. It's a men's show, right? We can say oh, no, all dude, this. I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's really interesting yeah. because <clears throat> we are concerned more about our kids' calorie count than we are about their character. We live in a very soft world. In fact, Stu Weber says this is the era of the soft man. I love Eldridge, who got a, come under a lot, came under a lot of fire for his book Wild at Heart, which has sold four million or something copies. But he wrote this in a book, and I really love it. He said, "Let the world feel the full weight of who I am, and let them deal with it." And so, when you talk about the fruit of a man who's enlarging his capacity, I go back yeah. to your book on page sixty-one. I think uh, this is a fruit of a man who's enlarged his capacity. You said this, quote, a parked car doesn't need directions, but when you're in motion, God can point you toward his fullness intention for your lift. Open your heart, love God, help people, get in motion, and God will guide you. Wouldn't you also add that a man who's in motion, one of the, one of the fruits of motion is resistance and yeah. tension and friction and possibly persecution? Yeah. Hey, if you're on the path of life, if you're on if you're on the, on your life's road and there's no obstacles, bro, you're on the wrong road. You're on the wrong. Get off the wide path, baby. <laughs> you know. So the so the fact here's the, here's the deal about the parked car and what it had to do with was I used a different name, but it's my friend John, who is one of the elders in my son's church now, and I watched him grow up. And and he came to me and he said, you know, I, I'm not sure what I want to be. There's all these options. I said, well, what do you think you want to be? And he's 22 years old. So yeah. I think I want to be a carpenter. I go, great, then go do it for a year. So he did. He comes back. He goes, yeah, that, that's not it, I think. And so then he went to Lowe's and he worked as a salesman at Lowe's for a while. And he comes back one day and he says that. And so it's bracketing. You know, if you're, if you're dialing in your rifle, you, you bracket the thing yeah. and you mess with the scope until you bracket the thing in and now it's on target. And so what he ended up doing is he ended, he's a personal banker for a major bank. Oh, mm -hmm. And because that was his underlying love, but it turned out to be the thing he was fantastic at. And he bracketed his life into that. And too often what happens is we just take the first job that comes up and it be in 20 years into it, we go, Oh bro, this is really not what I wanted to do with my life. You know, so my thing is, is this, is just go after that thing that makes your heart come alive because we need men 
whose hearts have come alive. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena, Jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of the field guide. It's Jim's 365-day bathroom book for men. It's the study of manly words in the Bible, illustrated with great stories. This is also a great resource for all our arena men. We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots-on-the-ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. I think a lot of times, Paul, we as we as preachers, we preach a gospel that isn't reality. And here's what I mean. We tell people this, you can do whatever you want. Well, that's not true. I'm 260 no. pounds and I'm 54. I'll never be an astronaut. I can't do what I want. <laughs> I can't see a detail unless it bites me in the face. I'll never be a pilot or an architect. But what I yeah. can be is I can be the best version of me. And I think yeah. what you're saying here is oh, I man. think when we are seeking to achieve our dreams, we have to go back to who we are, our identity, and how God has uniquely wired us. You said this on ver- uh, page 20. We become the size of the dream we are courageous enough to pursue. And then you continue on page 27 and you say, what would you do if money were not an issue? And I think those are beautiful questions because you also said on page 46, too often we shrink back from our dreams to match our resources. And I think a man who understands the resource of himself is able to advance in growing his capacity. How does that guy understand his unique identity in Christ? Yeah, see, here's the deal. Your current context does not determine God's response to your problem. Can you say that again? That's really good. <laughs> I don't know if I can. Come man. on now. Come bad. on now. <laughs> no, no, no. Here it is. Your current context does not determine God's response to your problem. So we believe in a larger God. Now, here's, here's the deal. We come back to this whole purpose piece. And, and one of the thing, major things, and one of my mentors is a man who's a few years younger than me named Leonard Sweet. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and Lynn Sweet, incredible thinker. And he got me going on this about 10 years ago that, because I was taught, Jim, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Yeah. And, and then I'm like, and the thing with John, young John, that, you know, uh, that I'm talking about, he was trying to find God's plan for his life. And a lot of us are like, oh, God's got a plan. God's got a plan. As if it's a railroad track. For sure. And if I don't find the right one, I'm screwed. You know, like, like if, how do I find the plan? How do I find the plan? Here, here's the deal. And what Lynn taught me, and it's in his book called The Well-Played Life, is you, God has a purpose for your life and a plan for mankind. The plan is the redemption of the earth, and your purpose in it is to become everything he's designed you to be. Let me go exactly. back to something real quick. I love that. Definitions are what determine our destiny. Watch this. Here's why. Because your definition, your personal definition, the story you tell yourself about yourself is your identity. So that definition or that identity is what you make decisions based on. All behavior follows belief. 
So you make decisions based on that definition, which determines your destiny. So where does that definition come from? And I'll, get, I'll give you one real quick, the word success. For a lot of guys, the image, when I say, when you talk about, hey, we want to be successful, up comes the, the front cover of a magazine. Or we think of the movie where we saw Steve Jobs, you know, creating this incredible computer. Or, or, or we think of, you know, I just want a car with, you know, a cool paint job and 22s. You know, it's, it's like uh, we all have this picture. But the true picture of success from the word of God is not stuff, is to fully become what we were designed to be, to fully satisfy your personal design. Mm. You are the best, you know, it's, it's uh, man, we go back to, what was his name, Norman Geisler? Was that? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Mr., you know, uh, Whoville and all that stuff. Uh-huh. What are those things called? I, you know, you know what I'm talking about Geisler, Norman Geisler, uh, the Grinch, I've got one all of those. Doctor Seuss, Doctor Seuss, yeah, Doctor Seuss. Come on, thank you, Dale. Look at that man. Yes, I knew I had his so books. Doctor Seuss, Geisler. <laughs> so this guy's a Christian, and he's teaching identity in his books, and he talks about become the best you that you could become. Yes, don't be a who, become you. Yep. And I mean that's that's really uh, it's it's Popeye, but most people don't remember that guy. Uh, <laughs> and he would he would he would eat this spinach and become really strong. This is like a cartoon out of the fifties or something. And and it was, but he would say this. He says, "I am's what I am's, and that's all I am gonna be." Well, it's interesting, Paul. He also said, "That's all I can stand. I can't stand no stand more." And no I think more. that's the key with <laughs> Nehemiah. Nehemiah had said, I can't stand this anymore. Yeah. And then when the king saw Nehemiah's countenance and Nehemiah's potential, he said, I can't stand you here anymore. You need to go become who you truly are. And I, I love what you said on page 33, talking about uh, the, you know defining and determining your destiny. You said, what you allow to define you will determine your destiny. Too often we accept the empty definitions of men's philosophies because yeah. they appear to be holy or we slide to the other side and arrogantly demand our rights. Using the definitions of self-serving pagan culture, both are wrong. And I think that our culture has told men that success is X, and the Bible clearly says that success is Y. Can you unpack that some more? Yeah, well, let me just say this about, you know, because we it, it's very difficult to do a conference and have people come to it when it's all about serving. Yeah. We're going to do a servant conference. So we do leadership conferences, and we talk about everything rises or falls on leadership. You know, Jesus very, very rarely, if ever, taught leadership. He always taught serving. Yeah. Because you're only qualified to lead to the degree you're willing to serve. And, and when we talk about definitions and I am what I am and all that sort of thing, it's, it's uh, we are as men. Here's the thing. We don't change until the pain of staying the same mm. becomes greater than the pain of changing. Yes. When that happens, and, and you've got Chad Henney's coming up on your show. I think you guys are uh-huh. interviewing him. Yep. Okay. And so Chad had one of those moments where his son gets sick and he can't control it. And for the first time in his life, performance doesn't do anything for him. And, and that pain of staying the same, that pain of being a performance-oriented guy, 
and in being able to control it, all of a sudden he can't do it. And so, uh, you know, men are designed, and this is a part of the issue right now in, uh, as we're, as we're digitally recording this, as we're capturing this right now, uh, there's this coronavirus thing. Yes. Right? So if you're listening to it a year or two years from now, whatever you, you're, you're reading some of the stories of it, but right now in the middle of it, you know, the issue for most men and the reason, for instance, that, that the women's trauma centers across America are packed. Do you know they're asking churches to open up community rooms in order to, to help transition homes for women? Uh, France is building pop, 20 pop-up centers for women who have been abused, domestic wow. violence. Now check this out. 90% of all domestic violence happens outside of marriage. It's another fascinating stat. But the issue is men have a sense of, I'm, I'm a solver. I'm a solutions guy. I'm a warrior. I'm fighting. And when we we're, we're being told, stay home and do nothing. I can't do that. I got to do something. And, and so, if you will, there's a mixed message in that. And the fact is, we were called to be warriors and heroes. Yep. It's in Isaiah, the third chapter. And without warriors and heroes, according to Isaiah, chapter three, a culture cannot be built, a family can't be built, a, f- a church can't be built, because everything's based on the courage of its warriors and the character of its heroes. Isaiah chapter 3. That's really powerful, man. Well, you know, when we go back to this identity, I, I think it all, and based on your book as well, it all comes back to these men and their identity. You said understanding their personal design. You know, on page 109 yeah. of your book, you wrote, your identity is what fights or gives up. You will yeah. not fight for what you are not or yeah. for what you deem as worthless. <clears throat> you will fight for what you hold as worthy of value. Your identity is your most valuable asset. And then on page 21, you actually told us what that identity is. You said this, you are made in the image of God and you were born for a purpose. You have ideas, dreams, and thoughts about your life. You are uniquely you. Yeah, see, here's the deal. We, we may join uh, the military, you know, to fight for the flag. But when you're in a battle, you're, you're not fighting for the flag. You're fighting for the man next to you. Yes. And in fact, the reason the military does so much in the boot camp and the training and everything that we go through in the military is to recreate a, in us a definition that I am my brother's keeper. Mm. The only reason men don't run because if you've been in battle or if you've had weapons fired at you, if you've been like in the north, I was in northern Israel and the howitzers were going and the Katusha rockets were coming in. And man, you know, there's something, it's like, I got to get out of here. There's a, there's a flight thing that happens in every single man. And the reason you don't run is because I am not going to let this guy down because that's not who I am. And the reason Gideon's life ended up a mess, started fantastic, ended up not well. And it's in Judges chapter eight. You want to hear it? Yeah. You want to hear this? Yeah. Can I? Yeah. Okay. You sure? <laughs> this is messing with you, man. I don't know how many times we got to say yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Judges chapter eight, verse 30. Judges chapter eight, verse 30. It says, Gideon had 70 sons. Mm. 70 sons. So this is a very contented man. <laughs> yeah, like, I wonder how many women. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, well, I, you know, it's, yeah, um, I get hey, it. he's, the, he's the judge. Yeah. So uh, he could afford it, I guess. I don't know how many daughters, but, but here's the key. 
This guy had an amazing start. Jim, you and I have talked to people over and over. Be a Gideon, man. Stand up. You yeah. know, for what you believe in. Get out of the wine Tear press. down the altars of Baal, right? Be a Gideon generation. But the guy, after over 50 years, over 50 years of prosperity, people coming out of the caves, in chapter 8, verse 33, it says, the day that Gideon died, Israel turned back to Baal. Mm-hmm. The day that he died, they turned their back on God. Now watch this. How many of his 70 sons stood up, Jim, and said, no, 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 this is not who we are. This is not our identity. You can kill me, you can cut me, but we are not turning away from the God of my father. Not one of his sons stood up because the failure of Gideon's life is he didn't disciple his sons. What a man does in life becomes history, but what he puts into motion becomes his legacy. Oh, that's really powerful. I really appreciate that because, you know, I even look at Solomon here. You mentioned Solomon earlier. Here's the wisest man to ever live. Well, then he writes the book of Ecclesiastes after marrying a thousand women. He just crumbled and, in my opinion, did not finish well at all. And one of the things that I like to speak about is I call this the biblical virtue of grit. And it's something that we're greatly lacking in our culture and in Christianity. We don't preach on grit. We don't preach on endurance, but you brought it up in your book. And I think this is key is that we want to finish strong where so many, especially in the Old Testament, have finished wrong. On page 37 of your book, you said this, and I just love this quote, tenacity will power a man through the hits and criticisms. And I, and as we speak to men, we have to speak to them that when you uncover your true identity, your your personal design, when you begin to live that out in the form of a dream, in the form of your purpose, you're going to get hit. You're going to have yeah. obstacles. And it's yeah. not whether or not you f- get over that obstacle. It's whether or not you keep climbing and keep going for it. And you, on, you just, man. I'll be honest with you, man, I, I'm not the smartest apple on the tree. I'm not the best guy in the world, but you know, I'll tell you what, I have tenacity. We're going to ride this horse into the ground. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, the great philosopher, Mike Tyson said this, (laughs) he said, uh, everybody has a plan until he gets hit in the mouth. Uh Uh-huh. I love that quote. (laughs) Now, what, now why did Mike Tyson keep showing up? And then what happened in his life? He had a father figure, a mentor that sadly, tragically passed away in the middle of his, of his career. This man kept him in the center of his identity. What kept him going? Muhammad Ali said, I don't win the fight in the, in, uh, underneath the lights. I win the fight out on a dark road running early in the morning. So the key is, the key is this, is that our character is what carries us. Our identity is what carries us. We're going to get hit in the mouth. We're going to get knocked down. Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. Everybody loves verse 23. It says, footsteps of a righteous man, ordered of the Lord. Amen, brother. But verse 24 says, and when a man falls, Ah. he will not be utterly cast aside, for the Lord will lift him up. The fact is, every man falls. Every man fails. And if all we're looking for is some kind of rigid plan, we're going to fall off that. God has a purpose for your life, and his purpose is, is to make you the man he designed you to be and that every single one of us 
desire to be. Well, we're running out of time, Paul, but I, I do want to end on this quote because what you're talking about, when you're talking about Mike Tyson, you're talking about overcoming valleys and disappointments. You said on page 90, we all walk through valleys in our lives, yeah. But a couple pages before that, on page 88, you said something powerful. You said, disappointment is not based on what you find, but on what you expected to find. Disappointment is not based on where you are, but on where you expected to be. The level of disappointment in a man's life is based on the gap between expectation and reality. The greater the gap between expectation and reality, the greater the degree of disappointment. That gap becomes your valley shadowed by death. Can you close with a comment about that quote? Yeah, I'd say most of us deal with the shame of being in the valley, but it's in the valley that you find the gold. And the fruit. And the fruit. So the fact is every man goes through stuff. Things happen. And the reason that God wants a man to have huevos. <laughs> rancheros. Right? Huevos, rancheros. Huevos. Cajones. The, the reason God wants a man to live as a man with guts and with grit and with tenacity is because we're going to get knocked down. Yep. But the strength and the power and the fire of the, following Jesus Christ is about getting back up. For he sure. is resurrection life. He is hope. Hope is alive. Hope has a name and hope's name is Jesus. That is so good, man. I appreciate that. Paul, Thanks so much for coming on our podcast, taking the time to share your wisdom. How can our guys pick up a book, Just a Bartender? And how can they get to know your ministry more? What's your website for Yeah, Christian the name Men's of the Network? ministry is Christian, Christian Men's Network, and, and so it's simple, cmn.men, cmn.men. And if you go on the app store, you'll find uh, an app for 24-7 radio, or say, Alexa, open Christian Men's Network. We've got CMN Radio. It runs 24-7 on the Alexa and the Google Play platforms. Wow. So, uh, and then, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that you can find. But to go to the App Store, which is kind of cool, it's kind of a new thing. And, and uh, you can click on there and download the app for CMN Radio. And 24-7, all kinds of encouraging stuff. Man, I really appreciate it. Hey, guys, what are you going to do in response to this podcast? Let's get our boots on the ground. And I've been listening to Paul uh, speak. I've read his book. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to carve out, and I, and I say this because I know that many of you have not. I want you to carve out time for you to get into your quiet place, to hear the voice of God, to seek his face, so that you can understand your true identity. Life is more than you driving to work and pushing 60-hour-a-week work, work weeks. Oh, find out who you are in Jesus. Find that personal design. You do that in the quiet place. Just as Paul said earlier in his book, he said, uh, vision is found in the quiet. So we want to invite you guys into the quiet place. Guys, until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Meet a bartender, figuratively. Grind it out and be a man. Men in the Arena is a nonprofit, crowdfunded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three M's, active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at meninthearena.org. 
What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.